0: your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 22, and we're going to read the last verse and then continue on into chapter 23. As you turn in your Bible there, in the end, Pastor Aldo does announcements, and so I'm trying to alleviate him of having to do too many announcements, so I will give you two. One of them is in a couple of weeks, I believe in two weeks, we will have our next vision carrier orientation. That is our next membership class. So in the lobby area, there is a bunch of stuff out there. There's a box for some questions. There's a bunch of sign-up sheets. Well, one sign-up sheet that is very important to me is that I'm announcing right now is if you have not taken our membership classes, I ask that you would do that, that you would sign up. There will be three consecutive Wednesdays. And you can sign up in the lobby, you put your name, you put your number, email address, so that way I make sure that I can send you a reminder of the day. Each class is about an hour long, and you'll get to know the vision, the mission, you'll know the history, the beliefs of the church, you get to meet all of the leaders, and so it's a really great time for you to make an educated decision on you becoming a vision carrier of the church. Um, The other thing is, and I'm sure Pastor Aldo will touch on this again, this week we we are restarting up our connect group. Somebody say amen. Amen. And so today, there's a connect group that meets, Pastor Robert's connect group meets on Sundays, my connect group and Pastor Chad's connect group meet on Tuesdays, Woo-hoo! and Pastor Aldo, um, his, his connect group meets on Saturday mornings in Oviedo, amen? amen? And so if you are not in a connect, connect is this, connect life groups. These are our small groups where we come together and we get to know each other better, we get to... Um, we get to um, dig into the Word together. This particular Connect this week, we won't be going uh, according, to the, um, according to the outline that I normally hand out during Connect, but we're going to be watching a pretty powerful video, um, Evolution versus God. Really good video. Give you some good substance for anyone who thinks that they know something that they really don't know. Hello. All right. Glory to God. Anyway, um, so it's, it's a really awesome time, and, and, and the reason why Connect is so important is not, it, it's not a program. It's not something that we just came up with. It's not something that we were following from some other place that they were doing it. When we look in our Bible, our Bible shows that the people met together in the temple like this. And then after the temple, what they did is they went to each other's homes. And they sat down together, they broke bread together, they talked about the scriptures together, they got to know one another, they met each other's needs, and so that is what our small groups are about. And so I want to encourage you that if you're not part of a connect group, even if you're not a member, listen, you don't have to be a member to get connected, amen? amen. But if you want to get connected, talk to, talk to one of the pastors, we're all out there after the service, you could find out which connect group would work best for you, amen? Mm-hmm. All right, that's enough for my announcements, now let's look at the word of God. Acts chapter 22 verse 30 when you got it say so So. and it says this it says the next day because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews he released him from his bonds their counsel to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them then Paul looking earnestly at the council said men and brethren I have lived in all good conscience before you until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Mm. (laughs) Glory to God. (laughs) For you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brethren that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your truth that sets us free. And Spirit of God, I just ask you right now to give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church pray that our hearts would be sensitive, that our hearts would be open, that our hearts would be submitted unto you. God, that you would glorify yourself in us, that we would be doers of your word, not hearers alone. And I pray, Lord God, that you would just have your way in our hearts, God. Use me for your kingdom, for your glory. In Jesus' name, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Today I want to deal with a topic that is entitled, Gospel-Centered Purpose. Say that with me, Gospel-Centered Purpose. purpose. We know that the Apostle Paul was a man that was committed 100% to the furtherance of the gospel. His purpose was singular, it was one thing, and that was to glorify Jesus and all that he did. And everything that he did, his whole goal, his whole heart, his whole purpose was to bring glory and honor to Jesus. And here, for those of you that may not have been with us for the last, um, the la- last week, Paul has is, is been arrested. He's been, taken, um, he's been taken captive because the Jews were trying to kill him. They were saying that he had broken the laws. It wasn't true. And so what happens here in verse 30 is the commander of the guard, he, he releases Paul and he says, you know what? We're going to let him go through a formalized trial because he wanted to know what Paul had done in order for these people to desire to kill him. And so Paul begins to communicate some stuff, but here's what I want you to get. First of all, before I get into any of these scriptures here, it is that each of us is here by divine design. And what I mean by that is God did not simply allow your existence, but he has purposed your existence from eternity past with one all-encompassing purpose, and that is to glorify him and all that you do. Should have got more than two amens, but that's okay. Everyone in this place, whether you know Jesus or not, it's that, that, that is not the point that I'm trying to make. Whether you know him or not, you are here with a purpose. God has divinely orchestrated for you to be here. And the greatest purpose in our lives is for us to bring glory and honor to Jesus in all that we do. And so the way that that happens is with a gospel-centered purpose in our lives. And here's what I want you to understand. Whether you know him or not, this applies to you. We cannot glorify God on our own terms and our own time and by our own standards. Did you hear me? We don't glorify God like we want to glorify him, you know. It's not like when we were, you know, when, 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 when our children are younger and they, you know, they, they, don't, they don't know to ask questions like, you know, daddy, mommy, what would you like for a gift, right? So then children, they make gifts. Hello. Right? And they make stuff for you that you don't necessarily need, but you put it in a box somewhere. Amen? Hallelujah. Yeah, at first, you don't put it in a box. You know, I mean, I, I know me. I, I have it all. There's all kind of stuff. I got, I got stuff on the, on the altar here, glory to God, notes that my daughter, pictures that she's drawn, and she gave to me, and they bless my life. The point of the matter was, I didn't need those. Amen? I didn't ask her for those. She made them because those were, that was something that came out of her heart. But here's what we have to understand. Our hearts are wicked. Are you hearing me? And, and, and what happens is sometimes we want to glorify God how we want to glorify him. We want to glorify God based on our terms, based on our standards, based on our timing. We want to do things when we want to do it instead of when he says do it. And the truth is we don't glorify him that way. We dishonor him that way when we decide that we're going to do things the way that we want to do it. God is glorified in us. When our lives are centered on His terms, His time, and His standards, and this only happens when we understand that we are simply His stewards. We own nothing, and we owe Him everything. See, I won't. I won't live according to someone else's time when I don't owe them anything. Are y'all 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 ain't hearing me today? You won't live according to someone. If they not, as as you got older, see this would happen. Let me let, 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 let me let me walk you through life. When you're a little kid, you know, you think about certain things, you know, your parents matter to you. Then you get a little bit older and your and your peers start to matter to you. Like you start to really think about what they say about you, you worry about, you know, I mean, everything from the type of sneakers you wear, the type of clothing you wear, you got to be in fashion if not they're going to make fun of you. That's just how it is. Hello. And you worry about that stuff, right? But then you get older and you realize that that don't matter cuz they ain't paying your rent. Amen. Y'all ain't saying. See, see what happens is you used to see When you were in middle school, high school, you used to be real concerned about a whole bunch of people that really didn't matter. You were worried about looking cute for them. They didn't buy your clothes. Hello. They weren't paying your rent. They weren't feeding you. They weren't doing any of that stuff. But when you got older, what happens is, and for those of you that are there, glory to God, what happens is you start to say, you ain't paying my rent, so I ain't paying no attention to you because it really really, really doesn't matter. But now you don't talk to your boss like that. Your boss tells you you need to wear this, you're wearing that. Hello. Your boss tells you you need to be here at this time. You're going to be there at that time or guess what? You have to find a new boss. Right. Hello, somebody. Because he tells you you need to be here at 730. You're there at 730. You need to stay until 330. You stay until 330. Why? Because in the way of God, he is, God is using him or that company to provide for you. Therefore, you pay attention to them. Because you owe him something. And the fact of the matter is, until we come to that place, that we understand that we are stewards in everything in this life. That nothing that we have, we own. Listen, the breath that you are breathing right now, you don't own it. There is someone who is providing that breath for you. And, I, and you're like, yeah, well, the plants do this. And, and listen, don't get all scientific on me. Because the one behind the science is God Almighty. He's the one who put the plants in place so you could breathe today. Hello. It is Him who put things in order so that way we could experience the benefits of His goodness and His grace. And until we get that, see, we talk about stuff all the time. The air you're breathing. The money that you say is yours. You know that checkbook that's got your name on it? Guess what? It ain't your money. People don't want to hear that stuff. Well, that's my money. I work hard. That's all good. But guess who gave you the strength to work? Guess who gave you the ability? It was God. It's not you. It's not because you're so cute. Hello. You look cute today, glory to God. It's all right. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you look cute. Look at him. Come on, look at him. Look at him. Look at him. They'll, they'll just look, look, look at your other neighbor and say, you look cute. But tell them too, it ain't all about you though. Hello. You look cute, but it still ain't all about you. The, the... We have to understand that, okay? We are stewards. And when we get that, we live our life differently. When we are stewards, i tell you what, when I first got saved, I was, I, I was very, very radical, or, or should I say, very radically saved, God delivered me from a whole bunch of sin and ungodliness, and I give him praise for that. And in that, you know, being saved that way, let me tell you, when I first became a Christian, I used to pray about every single thing. You don't understand what I'm saying. Back then, I had hair. I used to pray, God, can I go get a haircut? Y'all think I'm joking. I'm not joking. You know why? Because I was like, I just want to be in his will. As time progressed, I learned that I'm a steward, and he didn't, he's not saying, Jason, you got to ask me about going to get a haircut. If I don't want you to go get a haircut, I'll let you know. Hello. And obviously, he didn't because he took my hair. So now we know where we're at. I'm good. I'm like, all right, God, I guess I should have gone to get a haircut. I should have been worried about it. So he's like, I'm going to liberate you from that prayer. No. And right, but then I was praying, God, why are you taking my hair? I, I really. Anyway, that's another story for another day. Um, but the, the reality is. I I understood something. My life didn't belong to me. It It wasn't because I was trying to be overly religious. It's that I really got an understanding that my time is not my time. The Bible tells me to do something with time. You know what it tells everyone as a Christian? It tells you to redeem the time. If you and I are not redeeming the time, in other words, making our time glorify God, then guess what? We are not being good stewards of our time, period. I'm just saying. This is what the scriptures teach us. And so when we understand that and we, get, we really get this, we start asking God stuff about money. We start asking God about time. We start asking God about activities. We start praying about all of these things because we realize my life is not my own, but somebody else bought me at a price. Amen? The purpose or the vision for our lives must be rooted in the gospel. Hear what I'm saying? The, the, the title of the message is Gospel-Centered Purpose. The purpose or vision for our lives must be rooted in the gospel, for it is out of our purpose that our goals will be derived, our standards will be set and measured, and our motivations will be determined. Let me say that again. It is out of our purpose that our goals will be derived, that our standards will be set and measured, and our motivation will be determined. See, if my purpose, and, and I'm going to use this as an example, um, if my, if my purpose was, I'll use this one because this would definitely not be my purpose. If my purpose was to be a basketball, an, an NBA all-star, hello. I have to grow some, glory to God. I couldn't reach that goal no matter what. This is it. You know, I'm not going any up higher. But anyway, glory to God, I'm just saying. But if my goal was to be an athlete, or, or if my purpose was that, My goals would be to accomplish certain things in order for me to get to that. My life would begin to revolve around that purpose. Hear what I'm saying? It's important for us to consider what our goals are. Now, is there something wrong with wanting to be an athlete? Absolutely not. I didn't say that. That was in your head. You shouldn't have thought that way. That isn't what I said. If I decided that I wanted to be a professor in a college, guess what? I would have certain goals that I would have to set. And then there's also certain standards that would be set. And here's the point. The point is, whatever my purpose, the heart, the vision, the purpose of my... Whatever that is, that is going to determine what my goals are. In other words, that's going to determine what everything in my life revolves around. See, when my purpose... Is to live a gospel-centered life. Then everything I do, whether I'm trying to be an athlete, I'm trying to be a professional, I'm trying to be a doctor, I'm trying to be a lawyer, I'm trying to be an evangelist, I'm trying to be a pastor, whatever it is. And here, hear what I'm saying. You can have goals to be pastors, and that's the wrong goal. Hello. There's plenty of people that have that goal. They want to be a pastor. Let me just tell you something. The job is not all what it's cut out to be or what it looks like. Hello. Some people think, oh, I want to know you don't. No, you do not. You do not, you, you do not want to do this, glory to God. You, 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 you. As a matter of fact, I think one of the primary things that will show folks that they're called or not is when they really come to, like, God, I don't want that. When they don't want that call, that's, that might be the one God is calling. But when you're like, yes, I want to be a uh-uh, time out. Are you sure? Because you must, you, you know, you always check, like, how much, how, how long I got to go to school. You are in the school for the rest of your life. Hello, somebody you are learning about people every you're learning something new every day every week You're dealing with different issues different things And so here's the thing some people I just want to be a pastor be a pastor be a pastor And that is and that may not be the goal that God has for them But when my life When the purpose of my life is to live a gospel centered life Then what happens is all of my other goals revolve around Jesus everything that I pursue, everything that I do, no matter what it is, has one ending point and it is I want to glorify him in all that I do. I'm not trying to glorify myself. I'm not just trying to get rich. I'm not just trying to be successful according to the standards of the world but I am desiring to do what? Bring glory and honor to Jesus and then what happens is when I live that way, the rest of my life comes out of that purpose and what I will do is I will say yes to certain things and say no to others. Why? Because the standards have been set Not by me, but by Jesus. And so today I want to talk to you about that because the Apostle Paul gives us a great example of a gospel-centered purpose in his life. So the first thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. A gospel-centered purpose enables us to live with a clear conscience. So we read there and some of y'all responded like, wow, that was crazy. And, um, but what happens is in verse 1 in chapter 23, it says, then Paul looking earnestly at the council. Now, mind you, he's on trial here before these people. And so he's giving them their, his response again. He says, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience. Say good conscience. good conscience. Before God until this day. I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And that statement got him slapped in the face. He said, I have lived in all good conscience, and he got slapped for that because he was offending the people who were trying him. He was offending the council because they thought that he was a violator of God's law. They thought that he was dishonoring the laws of God. Therefore, they said, you know what? They said, you're lying because how can you have a clear conscience before God? The first thing that happens when I live a gospel-centered life, living a gospel-centered life allows me to live with a clear conscience. Why? Because when I live a gospel-centered life, I do everything to do what? Glorify Jesus. Right? Let me say this. It does not make me perfect. Amen? I I, I said it gives you a clear conscience, not perfect behavior. There's a difference between clear conscience and perfect behavior. I'll give you a prime example. The other day, I, I, I might have told you all this story a while ago, but... A few, a, a few months, actually, the, when the Crisis Pregnancy Center that's on the property was coming, was coming here, before they came, the, um, the, the president of, of the, or the founder, I'm sorry, the founder of the company, um, Andrea Krizay, she called me up on the phone and she was like, Pastor Jason, I need to ask you a question. And I was like, okay. And she said, um, there's a certain minister in Oviedo and, you know, there seems to be some kind of issue between you and him. And she's going through this whole thing and I'm like, really? She, and she listened, and, and I said, I have no clue what you're talking about. Now, somehow in my, in, in, in my endeavors and everything that I've done, I mean, I'm not crazy. I mean, I'm crazy sometimes, but not like that. Um, I offended someone. I offended a, a fellow minister, and I was clueless. So I'm walking around with a clear conscience. Hello. I have a clear conscience before God. I'm not thinking about this person. I'm not thinking about their ministry. I'm not, I'm not even concerned about any of that stuff. Because I'm trying to live my life to glorify Jesus. I'm not intentionally offending other people, but what happens is someone got offended and then it was brought to my attention through someone else. And you know what it was? It was funny. That was the first time someone ever used that statement on me. And she was like, you know what? I'm just, thank you for being honest with me. She's like, I can see that you're operating out of a clear conscience. They're the one that has an issue. And so what happens to us as Christians is that when I live a gospel centered life, it doesn't, I may have done something, seriously. I, and to this day, I don't know, but... I may have really done something to offend this person or to lead this person to believe that there was some type of issue. But because they never came to me and had a conversation with me, I never knew anything about that. I never knew anything that was going on. And so the the fact is, this is what happens to us all the time. And let me just throw this in on the sidebar since I'm talking about people being offended. Don't always think someone knows that they offended you. Are you here? Because sometimes we think because it offended us so badly that they must know. Y'all... They, they how, how could they do that and not know they weren't paying attention they didn't realize you know people I mean people get offended about some silly stuff I'm saying I'm just saying don't don't, don't get offended right now I know that you're like I don't get offended over silly stuff that means you do but <laughs> you know sometimes someone doesn't shake your hand doesn't give you a hug you know how people get offended about that seriously like it was intentional This morning, I I can tell you this morning, and I, I didn't offend this person. Well, I don't think so, but anyway, I could have. If I did, I'm sorry. This morning, when we were in rehearsal, I ran out there to my office to close the door, and as I was walking in, I saw someone walking into the lobby. I didn't stop. I glanced at them and kept going. That could have looked like I was a jerk, right? But I was in the middle of a rehearsal. It had nothing to do with that person. I wasn't trying to be mean. I was in the middle of doing something. And here's the point. That's something that's silly, but... Understand this. Sometimes people offend you and they they say things they don't even realize that they they said something hurt your feelings And you know what you do you walk around with all kind of bitterness. You're not walking with a clear conscience. They are Are you here? And so it's important for us to make sure that we live with a clear conscience and here's the truth The truth is most of us cannot say with the Apostle Paul that we have lived in all good conscience before God until this day And there's two reasons his statement holds some weight First of all, none of us in here, I don't know, if you were raised as a Pharisee, raise your hand. I'm just saying. Because Paul, it, it was different. See, we, you, you may have been raised, being raised in church is not the same as being raised like this guy was raised. Because you could have been raised in church and they never read a Bible to you in your house. They never made you memorize scripture. This guy was a Jew of Jews. The Jewish, the Jewish people in their tradition, from the time that a child could begin to speak and understand, guess what they started memorizing? the first five books of the law all right none does anybody know one book of the bible like by heart the whole thing i'm just saying you know jude it's one chapter hello <laughs> i'm just saying some of us can't even memorize scriptures, much less a whole chapter. This guy was part of, some of, 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 of of a tradition that they grew up and they knew the Torah. They knew the law. They knew these things by memory. They didn't have to read it. That's why when you read like Psalm 119, 11, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. That's what they meant. The word of God was really up in their heart. And whenever they were about to sin, guess what came up? The word of God. So most of us weren't raised like that. And so what happened was we weren't as God conscious as Paul was all of his life. And so he was, for you know, God's divine reasons, he was a person that was really devoted and really committed to God. And he was, he was understanding of God from his childhood. As he got older, this guy became a Pharisee. And he, he, in, in the prior chapter, he explains those things. He talks, I mean, he was somebody who was devoted, devoted to God. And everything that he did, when he, had his, when he had his encounter with Jesus, what does he do? He's like, Lord, who are you? Because he was operating with a clear conscience. He said, this looks like it's opposed to the law. This looks like it's opposed to the word of God. So this guy had this type of conscience. That's the first reason why most of us couldn't say this. The second thing is because even after coming to faith most of us still violate our conscience. Even after we put faith in Jesus, we know we shouldn't go there and we go there. We know we shouldn't watch that and we watch that. God will forgive me. I just wonder like if God showed up in all of his holiness and all of his glory, right before we did that, will we say he'll forgive me? I mean, think about that. Like, Isaiah had this, you know, for the men that were in a men's meeting, you know, we're talking about Isaiah chapter 6. We, I mean, you have a revelation of God. I doubt anyone would say, oh, he'll forgive me. No, he'll kill me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. But what happens is, we become Christian. You know, I shouldn't, I mean, I've even, I've, listen, I will confess my sin to you. I have even said this. I, I've been like, I shouldn't say this. Because what? Because it's gossip. I'm letting you know. We all violate our conscience, so most of us can't say, like, Paul, man, up the, to this day, I've not violated my conscience. I have been a person who has done everything that I knew. I've lived according to the law to the best of my ability, and it's not, he wasn't saying, well, God will forgive me. It wasn't like that, see, because you got to remember, a person who knew the law, they weren't thinking that way. They understood the terror of the Lord. See, we know the grace of God, and really, we only know half of that grace. Hello. We only know half of that grace because here's what happens. Because His grace is so amazing, because His grace is so powerful, because His grace liberates us from our sins, do you understand that there is a greater judgment because we have a greater grace? There's a greater judgment for those who have been entrusted with more. I mean, that's what our Bible teaches us. And so the reality is we violate our conscience. And here's what we have to realize, that God has given each of us A conscience to do what? To help us navigate through life, honoring Him and repenting when we do not. Because our conscience is given to us. The Bible says that God writes His laws upon our heart. And where does He write them? On our conscience. But here's what happens. Before we come to faith, you know what the Bible says about our conscience? It says that our conscience is evil. Our conscience becomes twisted and perverted. And so what will happen is, this will is, th- th- give you an example of a twisted conscience. A person who is a criminal who may be a thief, right? He gets arrested. And when he gets arrested, when he starts to go on ahead and tell about the other people who were involved in the crime, he'll start to feel bad because he's telling the truth. Are you hearing me? That's, that's called a perverted conscience. Perverted conscience. That's wrong. You shouldn't. I, I understand. Well, you know, I love them. They're my friend. That's all good. But you are telling the truth about a crime that was committed against someone else. And they'll feel bad like, man, I shouldn't do this. You know, and I mean, you know, y'all, y'all, y'all have those sayings, you know, snitches get stitches and all that stuff. You know, you got all that stuff going on, right? But here's, here's the reality the, our conscience is there for a reason. But we have to realize that our conscience is not the standard. The conscience applies the standard. So if I'm a person like Paul and I'm in the word of God, guess what happens to my conscience? my conscience becomes revived. My conscience becomes aligned with God. My conscience begins to speak to me the same way that the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, that's wrong. These are God's commands. These are the things that are right. And God puts that in there. And you know what the Bible also says? The Bible also says that our conscience can become seared as with a hot iron. What does that mean? What that means is when I continue to violate my conscience, when I continue to do things that I know do not glorify God, I am violating my conscience. And what happens is my heart becomes hard and before you know it I no longer feel bad for the sin that I'm living in because what oh he'll forgive me really he'll forgive me and you come to God as a hypocrite oh God forgive me for this but you're going to go do it tomorrow God, forgive me for this, but I'm going to continue on in this sin. You were like me before I came to Jesus. I used to pray every single night. I knew tomorrow was going to be no different. I was just hoping that if I died in my sleep, you know, the Lord my soul to keep, you know, all that stuff. I was hoping that would happen. I'm just saying, I didn't know that prayer back then. But anyway, I used to pray every night, God, you know, I just ask you for forgiveness. Forgiveness for what? I'm going to go do the same sin tomorrow. Matter of fact, the first thing I'm going to think about when I wake up is the sins I just asked you to forgive me for. And here is the sad part. The sad part is that for me, I didn't really know any better on on the front that I wasn't a committed Christian. I was just trying to do the right thing because I didn't want to go to hell. I knew that hell was a real place. Hello. But the reality is there are some people in this day, in this age, even in this place... That you know the realities of hell. You know the realities of the scripture. And you continue to violate your conscience. You continue to go against what the word of God says. And what I'm telling you is I fear for you. Because judgment is imminent. And if you continue on in your sin. And you do not repent of your sin. You are in danger of real judgment. And so if you're in this place. And that is you. God calls you to repentance today. Don't wait for tomorrow. Tomorrow is not promised to anyone. Today is the day of salvation. And if we continue in our sin, we continue to become more desensitized, more insensitive to the Holy Spirit. But the one thing that Paul says, he communicates to these people. He says, man, I've got a clear conscience before God until this day. And so it is important for each of us to make sure that we walk with a gospel-centered purpose so that we, our conscience can remain clean because that is one of the keys for us to walk with a clean conscience. Amen. The second thing, read with me, look, at, look, look down to verse 11 with me. We'll read down to verse 22. It says, but the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for, all, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath saying that they would neither eat eat ...nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under an oath that we will not eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander... ...that he be brought down for you tomorrow... ...as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him... ...but we are ready to kill him before he comes near... So when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, take this young man to the commander for he has something to to tell you. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner called to me and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand, went aside and asked privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said the Jews have have agreed to ask that you bring down Paul that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him but do not yield to them for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him men who have bound themselves by an oath and they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. Now they are ready, waiting, and waiting for the, promise, for, for, for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, Tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. Say this with me. The gospel, gospel-centered purpose, the gospel-centered purpose. Keeps, us the keeps us in the will of God. Gospel-centered purpose keeps us in the will of God. So Paul is before these people, and and, and going back to these um, prior verses, in the middle of uh, of the argument, what Paul does is he says, I'm a Pharisee, born a Jew, and he said, I'm being judged for the hope of the resurrection, is what he communicates. And when he says that, some people will look at that as though he was being dishonest because that wasn't what it was. He was not being dishonest. That's an example of being as wise as a serpent, as harmless as a dove. He was communicating the truth because he was being judged because of the communication about the resurrection of jesus but he was being wise in this that he said you know what if these people are not trying to hear me because when i tell them that i am living with a clear conscience before god they slap me so what does that mean they have no real intention of hearing me out so what i'm going to do is i'm going to communicate something that will hopefully open the door for me to share about the resurrection of jesus and preach the gospel and if not there's going to be a division in the crowd which is what happens Scripture says there's Pharisees and these Sadducees, and the Sadducees do not believe in the spirit realm. They don't believe in the resurrection or resurrection of lives. They, 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 they don't believe in any of that stuff. The Pharisees do. They believe in the prophet's prophecy. They believe in angels and spirits and the resurrection. They're looking forward to it. So this division happens in the crowd. Again, Paul gets delivered from the crowd because they're about to tear this guy apart. As they're fighting, they're about to tear him apart. And so they take him, they lock him up again. And verse 11 is so key because this is where Jesus comes and reveals himself to Paul again. And he says, but the following night, the Lord stood by me and said, be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. When my purpose, when your purpose is gospel centered, what that will do is it will keep me in the will of God because it will keep me seeking God's face. We asked a question a couple of weeks ago, was Paul disobedient to the will of God when he went to Jerusalem or was was it in the will of God? This is a prime example of Jesus' own words where he communicates to Paul the same way that you've testified. He didn't rebuke him for testifying in Jerusalem. He says the same way that you have testified in Jerusalem, you will testify in Rome. And so here's the thing. The the Lord may not physically come and stand next to you, but he is literally with us and has given us many promises that we must hold on to as we move forward in his purpose for us. See, I'm not going to tell you that Jesus is going to come show up in your room tonight. He might. I'm just saying he may. That, 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 That may happen. But here's what I want you to understand. Whether he comes and shows up in your room, speaks to you audibly or not, you need to know what his word says about you and his heart towards you. I have this little book. It's called Bible Promises, right? And so I looked up. I said, let me look at the word, the presence of God. And so when I went and looked at the presence of God, it just gives you a bunch of scriptures that talk about the presence of God. So I figured I would read them to you and hopefully it would encourage some of you as to knowing what the Lord says. In the book of Psalm 145 and verse 18, it says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, all who call on him in truth. In the book of Acts, chapter 17 and verse 27, it says, reach out for God and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Psalm 139, 9 through 10, it says this, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. The book of Hebrews, it's it's repeating Exodus, and God says, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. In the book of Psalm chapter 23 and verse 4, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 2 through 3, it says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And Deuteronomy says this in in chapter 31, verse 6. It says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So those are some amazing promises that we have. And while Jesus may not come and physically stand next to you the way that he does with Paul here, we can be assured that God is with us as we are with him. As we walk with him and we obey him and we seek to honor him and glorify him. See, Jesus gives him this encouragement. And the same thing that Jesus is trying to do through me today to you is to encourage you. He's with you. He's with you if you are with him. If you are not with him, please repent because he wants to walk with you. Hello. He relentlessly pursues you with his love and he wants you to walk in his purpose. Now, now, now I want you to notice something. In verse 11, Jesus appears. And look at what happens in verse 12. It's almost simultaneous. It says, and when it was day, so the following night, the Lord stood by him and spoke these words to him. The day, the next day comes. And it says, And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Almost simultaneously... As Paul is being encouraged by the Lord and being told, continue forward, don't lose heart, be courageous, continue to move, I'm with you. As, as God does that, it is, it is almost simultaneous that the enemy decides that he is going to put in someone's heart to try to hinder God's purpose in his life. Not just hinder it, but to completely stop it. Hello. You and I have to know something. God wants us to be the preachers of the gospel. He wants us to be light that shines in the darkness. And when our lives are devoted to that, the enemy is going to do everything that he can to hinder us from being the light. He's going to do everything that he can to keep us from moving forward in the purpose that God has for us. But here's the truth. The truth is that our hearts must be set and must be secured in the one who sent us and is with us. Our hearts must be that. That no matter what we're doing, if we're doing it for his glory, he is with us. No matter how difficult it may become, he is with us. No matter how much opposition we face, he is with us. And we are going to continue forward to bring glory and honor to his name. Because our lives are centered on one purpose and that is the glorification of Jesus. Amen? Amen. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. A gospel-centered purpose, gospel-centered purpose. Will, allow will allow us to see the hand of God. So the first thing that you'll notice here is that Paul gets encouraged. The second thing is these people conspire against him. The third thing is that you will notice that his nephew overhears the conversation. Now when you look at all of this stuff together, you know, if, if you're not paying attention like, oh, you know, can we hurry up and get done with this? But if you would pay attention to what's going on here, it may motivate you to see, man, God is working even through someone who's not even a, who's not even a believer. How do we know that he wasn't a believer? Well, first of all, if he was a believer, he wouldn't have been allowed in the council that these people were having. Hello. He wasn't part of the church. But his nephew overhears the conversation, and God uses him, obviously, because of the love that he has for his uncle and brings him a word that says, listen, these people are going to kill you. And so after that, he goes and he sends his nephew to communicate to the captain, the commander of the guard. And when when he communicates to the commander of the guard, the commander's like, okay, you know what? Go ahead and go. Don't tell anyone you told me anything. Beautiful so far, right? This guy, he gets this, this non-safe person to go and help stop this assassination that was going to be a lie and a deception just to go on ahead and keep their will or their purpose happening. But let's keep reading together in verse 23. It says, And he called for two centurions, saying, Prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night and provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the governor. He wrote a letter in the following manner, Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them, coming with the troops I rescued him and have learned that he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought, I brought him before their council and found, and found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law. But had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And so you can already see Paul's innocence. There's nothing that he's found as as being worthy of death or anything like that in Paul's life. And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. And the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to to, to Antipatris. And And the next day, they left the horsemen to go on with him and return to the barracks. And when they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. Again, I want you to notice, it was the commander of the army who God used to save Paul from the plot against his life. Remember, we talked about this last week. Paul was incarcerated, and that's what saved his life. A lot of times you want to get out of the negative situations we are in, and sometimes that will be the thing that God uses to deliver us. Hello. And again, Paul, God uses this guy to deliver him. And I've said this, sometimes the negative situation we find ourselves in will be for our deliverance if we just walk with God and trust him through the process. Notice that P- God is so gracious to Paul. He gives him an escort to Rome. Like if he was a president, hello. I'm just saying, he, he, he was surrounded by guards. He was, he, he was on, on it's it said to provide mounts. He was on top of mounts. This guy wasn't like, like, like your common criminal. But, but listen, this is the icing on the cake. When he gets there, you know what he says? He doesn't say throw him into prison. He says put him in the praetorium. Put him in the palace. Oh, glory to God. Listen, what I'm I'm saying is Paul wasn't looking for the presidential treatment. He wasn't looking for the palace. That just all happened. Hello. Because he was faithful with the purpose that God had for his life. He was faithful to be one who was devoted to preaching the gospel. And, And all of these things, his heart was fixed on one thing, the gospel. His heart was fixed on one thing, being the witness that God called him to be. And so why does this matter to us? Because the question is, are you committed to being the witness God has called you to be? Are you committed, no matter what's going on in your life, to being the witness that God has called you to be? Now listen, I said this a few weeks ago, and so I repeat it again today. There may be difficult situations in our life. It does not mean that we ignore them. But the question is, what is primary, your problem or the praise of his name? Is it the situation that I'm going through? Is it the difficulty that I'm experiencing? Or am I truly and fully devoted to bringing glory and honor to his name? This is my closing question for you. Is your life marked by a gospel centered purpose? Is it? Is your life marked by a gospel centered purpose? Does your life demonstrate that you live 100% for the glory of Jesus? I didn't say, Are you perfect? because that would be an answer no for everyone in the room. What I said is, Is your life marked? by a gospel-centered purpose. Does your life demonstrate that I'm really fully and completely committed to the cause of Christ? If you cannot answer that with an honest yes, then God calls you to repentance. If you're a Christian, he calls you to repentance. If you've allowed other things to consume your heart, he calls you to repentance. If you are not a believer, if you're not a believer, then the answer is an, an absolute no. If you're not a believer, and so what does God say? He's forgetting about you? No. He calls you to repentance too. Because what? We're all sinners. Hello? We have all fallen short of his glory according to the Bible. Meaning all of us are in the same boat. We all fall short of the glory of God. There is none of us that is righteous. No matter how good you are, our righteousness is not good enough to stand before God as being good enough. Hello? But Jesus died in our place. Jesus died so that way we could put our faith in him, so we could turn from our sin, so we could repent, so we could trust him as Savior and as God, and he can give you a new identity and your life will be marked by the gospel. Your life will be marked by the gospel, but the question is, is your life marked by a gospel centered purpose? If you say yes, then you're praying for other people that say no. That's what happens in this place. Please stand to your feet and bow your heads with me.